0: Welcome back to Sports Central. What is the future of college football? Tell you what, when you when you think of the way the sport has always been versus where it's going, let's just use Penn State as an example. Mark Wogenrich from Sports Illustrated joins us. Mark, how long have you covered Penn State football?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's going on 20 years now and we are in <laughs> we're in a very new period.
0: Did you ever think that we would get to I mean especially with Penn State? Uh, did you ever think we'd get to a point where Penn State would be taking on a whole bunch of transfers? I mean this was this was so foreign for most of the tenure that you've covered the program.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean it was the rarity. It was it was essentially out of need. I mean it was pretty much out of dire need that that would happen before um this is now this is now a third recruiting cycle. And you've got that early signing period that that ended mid-December. Now you've got the transfer period that goes going to go up and kind of run parallel to the remaining the remainder of the recruiting cycle ending with signing day in early February and and you can see what Penn State is doing. They're filling holes um in the roster. I mean, it was they were very stark about it on signing day with James Franklin and his uh, Andy Frank is director of player personnel saying, we are going to be active in, in the uh, transfer portal. Um, and this is, they're looking for the guys, um, not who could just fill spots, I guess, next year, but, you know, a couple of years. If you look at the, the three players that they've um, received commitments from so far, they're multi-year starters. And a couple of them have multiple years left because of, you know, this situation that everybody pretty much got a free pass this year. So they are... Um, they're finding they're finding guys, and the curious thing about it is you recruit you know high school kids to be fit into your program, and now you're bringing in these players from other uh, other programs who have college experience, have been in weight rooms, have been through programs, and and you know are at that kind of college professional level, so to speak. Um, it's, you're just bringing in yeah, you're bringing in vets, uh, you know is what you're doing. It, it's it's. Uh, it's a new world.
0: Let's take this step by step, Mark Wilburridge mm-hmm. from Sports Illustrated. Okay, the the example I gave, and Mark and I are about the same age, uh, was Kurt Flood uh, with baseball mm-hmm. challenging baseball's reserve clause. Uh, that was a lifetime ago, and, and it changed. It changed baseball. Baseball, the sport of baseball, the business of baseball, is not remotely close to what it was in the the '60s. And before. But it took time. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. You still got to see most of the same players on the same team every year. Nowadays, I just made a comment a few minutes ago, Mark. You don't know who's going to be on a baseball team from month to month, let alone season to season. So if we start right now, January 2021, when the NCAA legislation passes with the one time transfer rule, what will 2021, 2022, 2025? What will this immediate period show with regards to the number of transfers? And, again, we're going to take this step by step. We'll look into the future here in a minute. But what do you think the next, say, one to five years will look like?
1: I think you're probably going to have a lot of guys. Well, currently you're going to have a lot of guys who want to transfer. Now, whether there are going to be roster spots for them, we'll see. Next year there should be. Um, because of the expanded rosters that teams are going to get with, if seniors return, you were going to get those guys, but you're still going to have your limit of 85. So you don't have to count those seniors who are coming back necessarily. So you are going to have, I think you're going to see a lot more movement. It's just a matter of whether those guys are going to be, be able to find power five uh, scholarships for themselves. And then you're going to have to dial that back to the group of five schools that they're going to get a flood of carryover from guys who just didn't have spots um, transferring out. I think maybe it'll whittle itself down except for a quarterback. I, re- I think quarterback is going to turn into like an NFL-style quarterback thing where it is, really is going to be free agency. And you are going to see second- and third-string quarterbacks move around um, a lot more. The rest of the positions, though, I think mean, except for high-profile guys – and then maybe, you know, the group of five um, players who are who are elite, and then can make a jump in, into the Power Five. I think that will be maybe upward moving in that sense, and then kind of downward moving for the players who don't fit in in, in Power Five who ultimately don't um, find a spot. I do kind of, but I, I I I have a hard time seeing it being, you know, hundreds of guys moving every year. I just don't think the space is going to be there for them.
0: That's a good point, the, the space component. Mm-hmm. I would counter that by saying a lot of guys are going to be leaving. Okay, let, let's just look at mm-hmm. Penn State, for example. Um, I, I And maybe in a given year, you don't know. I think every year, pl- programs like Penn State and even the Clemsons and the Alabamas, I think they're going to be losing six to ten players transferring as well. I, I, I think guys that just aren't happy – and look, this isn't just the player's decisions either folks. I mean coaches, you know, coaches can pull you aside and say, "You know what? Maybe maybe it's time for you to see, seek another opportunity elsewhere." So your your space, your space component is a really really good one because just because everybody wants to leave doesn't mean that somebody else wants you, okay? But right. I do think that we're going to see the ebb and flow of this. Penn State's going to lose five to ten guys, so they might need to bring in five to ten guys. Can you see that? Can you see that scenario playing out? And if so, oh, yeah. not necessarily, right, absolutely,
1: mm-hmm. know,
0: not necessarily in the next year or two. But again, I'm talking about
1: over a four, five, ten year period. Oh, no question. But I think I was thinking maybe bridging that into the larger context is that, yeah, you know, the top end. The, the Big Ten schools, the SEC schools, they're gonna, you might see five to ten guys move in and they'll be able to bring a bunch of players in because there are going to be players who are absolutely going to be wanting to sign with Penn State mm-hmm. and, and Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, whoever. The, I think the issue is that, you know, you're going to run into that kind of game of musical chairs where kids are going to be circling and circling those spots are going to get grabbed up really quick, and then the second-level schools are going to get it. And then, you know, the third-level schools of the Power Five are going to get it and are going to get their kids. There's still going to be a pool left who are going to be just kind of out of – they're going to be out of options because I think then also you're going to have kids coming up from those group of five schools. You're going to have kids transferring up. That's going to be another recruiting promised land for Power Five coaches. They're going to find – they're going to find some great talent in the MAC. And, um, or other conferences like the AAC, and they're going to say, Hey, this is a really productive player in the MAC. You know, where would it have been, where would, versus where would Ben Rothelsberger had finished his career? It wouldn't have been in Miami of Ohio. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have gotten a Big Ten offer, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So that, you're going to see that, but somebody's going to get squeezed ultimately, and that's going to be, um, that is going to be the issue, I think, in the future. I think there was a Yahoo Sports story. There's upwards of a thousand kids um, put their names in the transfer portal this year. There's just not going to be that many scholarships available
0: for it. Right. Yeah. Not, not this year. And again, we're kind of mm-hmm. taking this step by step. Mark Woganers from mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated. Let, let me propose this, OK, because you brought up mm-hmm. an excellent point about the 85. Uh, NCAA dropped the football scholarships from 95 mm-hmm. to 85 in 1994. Do you see that number going back up?
1: I, I don't think without a fight from other other athletic directors and administrators in in college sports, because then they're going to have to raise um, scholarship opportunities for women's sports. And what you know, in a time where you've got to re- raise more money, especially this year, that could be tough. Um, those, those scholarships have to come. I mean. From somewhere, if you're going to raise it ten, then you basically you might have to take away ten opportunities for men's sports, for men's, uh, you know, men's teams, athletes from uh, from your program. So what does that mean? Do you have fewer scholarship players uh, playing baseball? I mean, do, does, does baseball drop from nine point nine to I don't know seven point nine or something like that? Um, wrestling, you know, are you cutting men's sports then, or are you then going, or are you conversely going to increase women's? Opportunities by ten. So, are you going to add twenty scholarships um, to your athletic budget? That one, to me, um, unless there's something outside, unless you know, name, image, and likeness can somehow, you know, fund scholarship money. I don't know how that's going to work. You know, that, unless they could figure a way around that, um, I, I have a hard time seeing that happening. Um, I agree but, with that. You know. I
0: think at some point. Yeah. that they will be separated that uh, the title 9 requirements mm-hmm. i just see a time in the future where and i don't i don't have a crystal ball to tell you when this is going to happen but folks there's just too much money involved there's so mm-hmm. much money involved that no one could have. everything mark said is true about if you've got 85 scholarships for football players you got to find 85 scholarships for a female athletes i think at mm-hmm. some point that's going to be separated they're going to find a way in, in some you know and and you know it, it, this could be a generation away but i just don't know that that is feasible especially if you're going to start paying players which i again ultimately mark that's kind of what we're talking about here we're we're trying right. to foresee what what's going to happen 10 20 30 years from now and at some point these players are going to get paid that they, they they just are if you're de- in denial of that and i'm not a proponent of paying players i just think that inevitably as we give players more and more and more leverage name image likeness all these types of things it's it's impossible to pay all the athletes in swimming and diving and tennis and baseball and golf. So are are they not going to have to find a way to separate football and just count it separately?
1: Future, yeah, I think somehow football is going to, and this is something I can't foresee visually myself. Somehow football is going to break away. It, it is going to have its own commissioner. Yeah, um, it's going to fund itself too. Like somehow, may you know, universities maybe. You know, universities might not even they might stop funding football, you know, kind of altogether. There might be some sort of outside agency that is running this and that universities don't have to, you know, expend so much energy right. or so much, you know, um, so much money into football because that money is coming from somewhere else. It's coming from media rights and things like that. I, I, I saw just quickly I saw some uh, somewhere, I think it might have been on the athletic. Somebody raised the question of could bowls could bowl games ultimately pay um, like appearance fees to players to keep them from you know to keep them playing? Yeah, sure. And have them not to opt, not to opt out. And I was like, I hadn't considered that. There are so many revenue streams um, that are kind of untapped that you can pay guys without necessarily paying them. I, I, and, and ultimately, we're going to get to that. Yeah, you're right. It's I think it's.
0: I think it's great. Everything we're talking mm-hmm. about here. This mm-hmm. is a good discussion. Mark's been around a long time, and <laughs> and I've been around a long time. And whatever we can dream or envision, you know somebody else is out there thinking about it. Yeah. You know, they're, they're smarter guys th- than you and I, but he- here's here's what a lot of it comes down to, man. It's we have intertwined college education and academics and institutions with billion dollar sports businesses, and that is not sustainable to me. It is not right to me. It is not. It is not accurate. It is not the way things should be. It is not um, it, it is not sustainable. I don't believe. Look, college athletics, football, and basketball, they've existed forever. So you might be saying, well, Geiger, what, what's what's changed? Well, the money's changed. The, the money's changed. There's so much money now that decisions that universities that are supposed to be about education are making end up being about money. And so all these things that we're talking about here, I, I absolutely believe that the, the the Power Five football conferences are going to break away a, a, and form their own type of entity a, at some point. Now, again, I don't know if this is five years, 10 years, 50. But folks, the Big Ten network pays each member school $55 million from its TV revenues. So if you're in the Big Ten, even Northwestern, even Indiana Rutgers, you get $55 million. Okay, well, that's money that is that really should should universities mark really be in the business if we take a, a true hard look at all of this stuff, should universities be in the business of funding what really is professional sports?
1: And theoretically, no, they should not be in that business. The problem is that so many universities have their identity entwined um, with sports. Sports teams, you know, they're the face. They're a lot of times they're the front face of a university. And I wonder whether if we try to rip football or, or men's basketball or other sports out of the university setting, do we then necessarily, do we cripple the university itself in some ways because that brand is so tied sure. um, to to the sport, to the sport identity? Um I look at Penn State and I go, "What is? I mean, Penn State is you know its flagship institution, uh, state institution of Pennsylvania, but what is it without football? Um, what is it without that brand? What is it without fall weekends? That sort of thing. Um, the, how does it, how does Penn State brand itself outside of football? Can it stand on its own legs? I mean, I'm sure it could, but it wouldn't be the same institution without it. I look at and, and you know across the country, the other universities." Are like that. I, you know, some smaller universities. There are smaller universities and colleges that are branding themselves with esports. I, you know, I you know I've written stories about that sort of thing. Um, that's you know a marketing arm for smaller places that just that don't have that sort of football, but they still need that branding identity. They still need something in that venue in that marketplace. So if you're going to take, you know, if Penn State's not going to pay for football, but somehow has to brand itself. That way, that's going to be a marketing deal. That you know, somebody that that's a that's a needle. Somebody's currently trying to figure out how to thread. I wish I had that. Too. I wish I had that mind work to do that too.
0: All right, so let's look in our crystal ball, and um, I'll throw this out because this this makes me feel old. That we are closer to 2050 than we are to 1980. Yeah. And, uh, and as I'm listening to my Casey some year-end countdowns uh, all week, I think they're on 1977 right now. They'll, they'll, he does the top 100 countdowns every year from the 70s and the 80s. Uh, I still live in like 1984,
1: Mark. In my, as do I. So. Yeah,
0: in my mind. That, so to <laughs> think that 2050 is only 30 years away when 1980 was 40 years ago. Right, so let's look at our crystal ball to 2050, which we think seems like a, li- a lifetime away, but it's only 30 years. What do you think college football is in 2050?
1: Yeah, is it virtual? I mean, are we even getting to the point where they're going to be playing, you know, or are you going to be playing 11-on-11 11 11 college football in 30 years? Is that still going to be a sport even beyond this sort of thing, you know, with contact and head injuries and, and things like that? Or are we going to take it down to a seven-on-seven seven kind of game? Would that even be popular? Would that be sustainable? Um, I, I, You know, if – I still think that we're going to, we're still going to tie ourselves to these institutions. I still think we have that kind of, you know, I guess I'm hoping, but I wonder um, whether the virtual nature of education and everything that is going to kind of strip that, uh, that branding and that identity away from the big college experience and thus kind of taking a little bit away from things like that, from, you know, tying yourself to an Alabama or a Clemson or going, you know, a football Saturday. Um, at ohio state or or penn state i'm going to say it's going to be less than it is now i'm going to say stadiums won't be 100,000 seats. they they're going to be smaller mm-hmm. um and i'm going to say we are going to we're just going to be watching maybe a different game that is not going to have guys as big you know maybe it's going to be more athletic and, and maybe it's not even going to be 11 players anymore that's the thing that i would be looking at more or less um, I like that seven on seven. That's, although that's going, obviously that reduces the number of scholarships and players too. So maybe that, maybe that benefits in, in the long run. I don't know.
0: Seven on seven. That's a that's a fun way to. it's it's not the same kind of football. I, I'll look at my crystal ball and say that players will will essentially be professionals in twenty fifty. Mm. Uh, I think that we are in society in general. We are in. Uh, such a surge over the last say five to 10 years of people getting what's due them Um, individualism um, getting, getting recognized. And and so I think we're going to see players get more and more. We we've already talked about uh, the name image likeness, which is coming. They're going to be able to do commercials and get paid. We've already talked about the free agency of being able to transfer right now. It's, you can transfer once in your career. I think that's going to be up to two probably within a, a, a somewhat reasonable period. I think we're going to see true free agency where we're, we're just going to keep giving players more and more rights and they're going to get some money. And I'm talking football specifically here, which does bother me because you can't pay this same kind of money to women's volleyball players. You just can't. You can't pay it to Penn State wrestlers. Penn State wrestlers can win 20 national titles. They're not going to get the same money of Penn State football players. That's just the reality of the economics in, in college football. But but I think in 2050, we're going to see uh, basically semi-pro players representing universities, guys who are on scholarship maybe still, but they're getting a, a pretty decent amount of money. Do you know why? Because the money is out of this world. It's it's out, It's out. already out of this world, and right now you have coaches getting pretty much all of it. This notion that a coach can make $9 million, and a kid can't really get any. That's. I think that's all going to change. I, I. I just think the as we go forward, Mark, players are going to have more and more things given to them.
1: Yeah. The one thing, excuse me, that the Penn State athletic, athletic director Sandy Barber had said at some point, um, is that what have we done? You know, what is as college athletics done with all the money? They paid coaches and they paid athletic directors and they built you know stadiums and uh, locker rooms. You know. And just as you said, the kids are going to get their piece of that soon.
0: Just saw this, man, for us old folks. Don Wells, Mary Ann. And I saw Gilligan's that. Island that just, just that broke stopped. me up because, my goodness. 80, 82 years old, she died of COVID. I grew up First watching.
1: First for me. Is that so right? Don Wells, <laughs> I, I, before I
0: went to school every morning as a kid, I would watch Gilligan's Island and Bewitched or or I Dream of Genie. They were on 7 o'clock so Don Wells, 82, mm-hmm. Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. Hey, uh, it's a great discussion. We don't know exactly what the future will hold. Like I said earlier, there are a lot smarter people than you and I out there. They're already brainstorming. They're already in their Think tank about all of this stuff. I'd love to be on a, a fly on the wall of some of these discussions that that the, these people are talking about what what could happen in the future.
1: Yeah, I want to get on that Zoom
0: too. <laughs> Zoom, nice. That's <laughs> hey, that's one thing I hope continues going forward. I think I think Zoom has been a a, gr- a great thing for our society. <laughs> all right, Mark Wogan, Rich from Sports Illustrated. Appreciate the time. Happy holidays, happy New Year. Yeah, buddy.
1: happy New Year. Thanks, Corey.
0: All right, good stuff.